Today's scripture reading is from Acts 4, 23 to 31. Acts 4, 23 to 31. Hear the word of the Lord. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your your servant, our father David. Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Caitlin. Uh, as Pastor Bill introduced, uh, my name is Jen, and it's my joy to open up God's Word. And I want to especially extend my greetings to those who may be visiting with us today. In case it wasn't clear, we do offer children's class and youth as well. So first to fifth grade, as well as youth, you are more than welcome to stay, or you can be dismissed for your class as well. Uh, today, we continue our studies in book of Acts about beautiful church. Uh, Throughout the series, we have been talking about why, why you should consider giving yourself to the cause of church, for the people of Christ. And today, we will be talking about a certain topic that Pastor Bill already has introduced, which is about prayer. These days, sometimes, whether it be Christmas time, I know it's far away, or whether it be Christmas time or New Year time, I sometimes receive cards or any greeting that says, Hey, Jen, I am, especially from my non-believing and secular friends that says, Hey, Jen, I'm sending you positive vibe. I'm sending you positive thought. And I know what they are trying to do. I appreciate its sentimentality and appreciate their thought of me. Yeah, when the circumstance gets dire in their life, it has been a little bit fascinating to observe for some of them, still ask for my positive thought. Hey, Jen, we would appreciate your positive thought in our difficult circumstances. And some of them, actually, we say, Jen, I know what you do. I actually would appreciate your prayer. And when I receive cards or notification like that, I deep down wonder whether even those of them who say, Jen, send your positive thought. With all respect, sometimes I wonder, I'm not that powerful. I don't know how am I positive thinking of you will make any difference. And I wonder deep down whether they want to say, I want to believe some sort of supernatural power. Can you pray for me? That they are not quite willing to admit and say that. In fact, in 2004 study by BBC in United Kingdom, conducted by the BBC, says that 30% atheists admit that they actually pray. 
So prayer, the wanting something, interceding on behalf of you for the supernatural power to intervene is something within us. We deep down know that we are out of control. Prayer is something that we all do. Like traditionally, Jews pray about three times a day. Our Muslim friends pray five times a day facing certain direction. And even in our Christian Protestant tradition, if you want to call it that way, in Anglican tradition, if you look at Book of Common Prayer, there's four times. There's morning prayer, midday prayer, evening prayer, and complying, which means bedtime prayer. If you go outside of this culture a little bit, where I came from, in South Korean church, there's morning prayer meeting at 5 a.m. every morning. So my mom and dad have been waking up at 5 a.m. for the past 30 years to pray with the people of God. My grandmother virtually all her life have done that, prayed that every 5 a.m. getting up. See, the question that we want to ask is if people, we, there's desire to believe something more than us, and if prayer is something that we actually do, then does prayer actually really matter? Hmm? Or is that just a ramble babbling? We don't know whether it's true, come true or not. And so if prayer really availeth much, how should we ought to pray? As a church, we have been saying the church is beautiful. And today we are saying church is beautiful because when we pray, our sovereign God hears us. That's one of the greatest comfort I have in life. God hears me. When you pray, our God delights in hearing you, and our sovereign God answered your prayer according to his goodness and sovereignty. So we have, I think, much to learn from how early church prayed. That's what we are going to look at based on Acts chapter 4 that Caitlin just read. This is the perfect timing because we as a church will come together to pray this evening. That hour will not be wasted Our God hears us, and there is something beautiful about prayer that I pray and we pray that we become a church of prayer, Uh, that the people of God are dependent on the Lord. God, I need you to come through like a beggar. God, I need you to come through. I am desperately dependent on you, our sovereign God. May we have the humility and boldness to approach the throne. So two things today we are going to talk about. One, We'll talk about the characteristics of the early church prayer. We'll talk about their characteristic. And secondly, we'll talk about its effect, what kind of effect, how it resulted in. <clears throat> now, when I talk about its characteristic, I'll go two different ways to talk about it. First, I'll talk about their attitude. And their attitude, and then I'll talk about kind of its form, its mechanic, how they prayed about it. So four things, characteristics of their prayer. It's there's first in their attitude, there's promptness, and there's reliance. When I say promptness, I mean uh, there, is sense, there is a sense of immediacy. There is a sense of urgency. They were quick to pray. And when I say reliance, they were so quick to rely on the sovereign God, that firm dependency on the Lord to come through. So we'll look at their of promptness and reliance. And second, in its form, we'll talk about how they prayed. Their prayer was always word-rooted and mission-driven. 
Uh, their prayer was saturated and informed by the word of God, and their prayer was so driven for the cause of mission. So four things, let's go. Promptness, reliance, word-rooted, and mission-driven. As you dive in, let's examine the context that leads up to today's section that we looked at last week. Look, verse 21 with me. What is happening here? <clears throat> After further threats, 421 acts, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Now here, Peter and John were released from their persecution because those persecutors, the religious leaders, didn't quite know what to do with them. And verse 24, 23, excuse me. So on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders said to them. So as Peter and John were released from the persecution and went back to the people of God, they must have given great report because the way they pray is something unheard of. That how It shows how early Christians really prayed. Verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voice together in prayer to God. First of all, notice what they did not do. <laughs> As soon as they are released from the persecution, as Peter and John comes back to those people, hey, this is what happened. Immediately, they raised their voice together in prayer to God. Did you notice their reaction is not first. It's not triumphalistic. They are not saying, we have done it. I knew we were capable. We are great. Hey, nothing can stop me. I am great. I know my wit. I know how smart I am. I know I am great and mighty. Their early church reaction wasn't triumphalistic in a way that they were not quick to give credit to themselves. They were not saying, no one can touch us. We are great. We are mighty. There was no hint of arrogance in them. Church, if things are going well, are you so quick to credit yourself? Oh, it's going great because I've done X, I've done Y, I've done Z. If you're, when things are going, when there's victorious events as they were celebrating here happens, and you're all saying, I am great, I am capable. If that's all about you, I don't think you have been humbled yet. Do you realize sovereignty of the Lord? And not only their reaction wasn't immediately, it was neither triumphalistic, nor, secondly, they weren't worrying either. Now, the Peter and John's report might have been victorious about all that God has done, even in the midst of their persecution. But guess what? They were arrested for what they were doing. In other words, persecution is just still ongoing. They, these early church people could have said, oh my goodness, what's going to happen now? They came for our leaders. Now they're going to come for us. I am panicking here. Oh, what am I supposed to do? Some of us major in the worrying part of life. You major in self-fulfilling prophecy. You connect the dot, bunch of events in your life. Things are not going well. Everything you see, you interpret it, interpret it in light of things are not going well. Oh, no, things are bad in my life. Well, that happened. It's because I must have done something wrong. That happened, that happened. And all you do is just completely caught in worry and caught in fear. Do you remember what disciples did, Chelton? When Jesus was crucified on the cross of Jesus Christ, John 20, 19 says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, 
with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders. They were so caught in fear. They went for the captain of their movement, Jesus. Disciples are thinking, now they're going to come to me. And now these disciples are being persecuted. So people of God, disciples of the disciple, might be saying, oh no, I'm going to die tomorrow. They might come for me to persecute me. Is there any sign of that? No. They are neither triumphalistic. We've done it. No. They are nor worrying. At the same time, uh, they're not here controlling either. Their reaction is, not, what are you going to do? Okay, let's have a strategic planning session right now, immediately. Peter and John, you're released, and therefore we are going to do X, Y, Z, boom, boom, boom. They aren't just trying to control the circumstance either. Their reaction is neither triumphalistic nor worrying. Their reaction is not controlling, but what is it? They raise their voice in prayer. They are praying. Chelton, is your muscle reflex prayer your life? Why? Why? Let me ask you. I ask myself too. Why is your prayer last resort? When you're caught in the corner of life, I don't know what to do. Then we begin to pray. Why can our muscle reflex be prayer? Immediately, promptly, as soon as they heard the report, they're like, let's pray. That's what we ought to do. And the people of God just gathered together to pray. They intercede to God for their needs. And there's a praising for that. Sometimes we pray only when we have nothing to do. I don't know what to do, God. I've panicked. I have been angry. I'm put in the corner. I don't know what to do, so let me pray. No, prayer should be a knee-jerk reaction for Christian. It should be your muscle reflex. It should be something that comes out of your DNA. You're like, I'm Christian. Therefore, I pray. Our God hears us. Is that part of your life? Uh, Pastor Jack Miller, actually, maybe some of you know him. He used to pastor just down the road in New Life Glenside. He used to say that you can tell a great deal about a person's relationship with God by just listening to him, listening to her pray. He used to say that you can tell if a man or a woman is really on speaking terms with God. Children, are you on speaking terms with God? Or is he your like last resort assistant SOS only when the circumstance gets dire? Where is your prayer life today? So first of all, they're praying promptly, immediately, right away. Their reaction wasn't anything else, but let's pray first. And see the beautiful opening line of their prayer. Watch the opening line of prayer, 424, second half. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Second characteristics of their prayer, there's reliance on them. There's dependency on God's sovereignty and power. Do you realize how they opened their prayer? Sovereign God. That's such beautiful, beautiful two words. And I find that was incredibly comforting that God is sovereign. Those followers believe, followers of Jesus who truly believe that God is sovereign, I think nothing can touch you, really. I think the sovereignty of God in our circle, I think the sovereignty of God is one of the, the theological concepts that has greatest chasm between your confessional belief and functional belief. What I mean by greatest chasm is that 
you always say confessionally, God is sovereign, which means God is in control of all things. You say that, you believe that too, but in reality, you don't believe a single bit. There's such a chasm in it because if you really believe that God is sovereign, in control of every single circumstances, if there's really not a single bird will fall from the sky, I think we'll be far more patient. I think we'll be far less worrying, far less controlling, far less snappy, far less angry. But there is the immovable poise within you because you know that it's not you. You are not being triumphalistic with our success because it is God, His sovereign to bring us through. You don't get over worried and consumed with our circumstances around because you know God is in control. Or you don't just try to fix it all as if you are in sovereign of all circumstances. But we deep down think and operate as if we are sovereign. Deep down, you're root of all worries, anxiousness. You think you have to be in control of all things. Guess what? You're not. And guess what? It's a good news. If I'm in control of my life, if I have to be charged of my life, probably I won't be able to sleep tonight. Well, I better stay up late all night improving myself. I must prove myself. But if God is sovereign, he rules the world, I can rest because our king is a good and sovereign king who will usher us to his goodness. So, Chelton, will you examine your heart? The prime way to examine whether you think you're sovereign, whether there's so much pride within you that you think you're sovereign, good way to see whether there's peace and rest within your heart today. Your body may be tired, but is your heart at peace? Yeah, think about that. Or is your heart, your peace in pieces? It's tormented. It's all fragmented. There's no peace within you. There's no rest in your heart. You're so worked up about something. That shows deep down, maybe confessionally you believe that God is sovereign, but you are still operating as if you are sovereign today. Let me give you an example how this really looks like. Let's say there are two travelers who travels together. One guy loves airplane. Airplane is the joy of his life. He thinks the flight is the number one experience he can ever have. He always takes window seats, opens up the window, and everyone sleeps uh, to bright. He looks outside, looks at all the great view. He thinks it's the greatest thing. And uh, his companion on the other side, he thinks flight is the worst invention in humanity. He's terrified about it. As soon as he gets on the flight, he's like sweating. Flight's about to take off. He's like panting. He's praying, like doing all crazy things. And flight's about to land. He's breathe. He breathes so much faster. Maybe some of you are like that. 999 out of 1,000 times. I don't know what the exact percentage. You will most likely land safely. Airplane is exact. But does it because the plane lands safely because this person loves airplane ride or this plane was this person was terrified about flight? No. It has everything to do with pilot sovereignty. He was capable to fly the plane and land it safely. Likewise, Shelton, if you really believe that our God is in control of all the storms of your life, God is going to still carry us through. But if you really enjoy his guidance of your life, you can rest in that. Your ride will be far more enjoyable. Why are you constantly panicking? Because deep down, we think we have to be in charge of it all. So first of all, we saw early church characters, and they cry out, Sovereign God. 
Look, verse 24, it says, Sovereign Lord, right? You made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. They trusted in the sovereignty of the Lord in their prayer. So they are added to the prayer. There's prompt, promptness and reliance. Secondly, in each form, it's word-rooted and mission-driven. When you look at verse 25 and 26, uh, they're actually, this, what they're quoting in your Bible is actually Psalm 2 that this early church is quoting here in their prayer, which actually talks a lot about sovereignty of God in Psalm 2. It's a kind of hard psalm. All the kings and the evil dwarves rise, and God laughs at them. You got nothing on me, and I'll triumph over it all. God is still sovereign of all control, sovereign of all circumstance. But before we even get to the Psalm 2, actually, Psalm is such a book on prayer in the book of Bible, Chilton. If you don't know how to pray, make Psalmist your companion. He will teach you how to pray together. And Eugene Peterson, he's the editor of probably most well-known as the Message Bible. Before we even get to the Psalm 1, Psalm is the book that teaches us how to pray. But when you look at Psalm 1, he says, the Psalm is book of prayer. But actually, Psalm 1 does not begin with a prayer. But Psalm 1 actually begins with meditation. Like when you look at Psalm 1, 1, 2, it says, Blessed are the one who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates in it day and night. And this is what Eugene Peterson says. The text of the Psalms that teaches us to pray doesn't begin with prayer. We are not ready. We are wrapped up in ourselves. We are knocked around by the world. Psalm 1 is pre-prayer getting us ready. Chilton, are your life so rooted in the word that you delight in meditating the word day and night, as the psalmist says? Have you ever prayed and after your prayer you're far more worked up? Because you, you chose not to meditate on the truths Revealing the word of the Lord, the characteristic, the goodness, the sovereignty of the Lord revealed in the scripture. But in all your prayer, probably you meditate on your circumstances. Probably in your prayer, you're doing strategic planning. Probably in your prayer, all you did is how angry you are. It's like, God, I pray. I'm so mad. I I don't know how to fix this. All you think about is you. You don't meditate on the law of the Lord, goodness of the Lord, sovereign God. But you just meditate on your worries, your angstiness. So after prayer, you're far more worked up because you just meditate on your. Some of you after prayer, you're far more guilty because you just meditate on your sinfulness. But have you really meditated on the goodness, the sovereignty of the Lord revealed in the scripture? As this Acts people are praying together, they're meditating themselves in the sovereignty of the Lord. Because Psalm 2 speaks about how the nations would raise against the Lord, the kingdoms will rise and fall, but the Lord remains steady. There is no refuge from him. There is only refuge in him. Look how they pray in Acts chapter 4 here. In the middle of all their persecution, 25 and 26, this is how they pray. Why do the nations raise and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. This kind of persecution of people rising against, against the people of God were happening at the time to these people, early church who gathered, prayed. 
but they are unfazed because they have not only seen the crucifixion of Jesus, but they have seen the power of Jesus firsthand through his resurrection. Our God will triumph. He has triumphed and he's victorious. What does that teach us, Chelton? Our outcome is secure. It's going to be okay. You can rest now. Really, Chelton. When you really begin to remember the sovereignty of the Lord revealed in the scripture in your prayer, it will teach you that even though things might go crazy in your life, it has been okay and it will be okay. You can rest today. Have you meditated on that, who God is revealed in the scripture? Or is your prayer life just saturated by how you got to control all circumstances? How your life is so just messed up by this and that? Have you meditated on the goodness of the Lord? Guess what? The, <laughs> the more you dwell in that, you will find yourself strangely calm. God, yeah, things are not going well, but I rest on your goodness. I know I am tired. I know I am weary. I am a bit worried, God, I admit, but let me remember you. If you loved us, if you did not even reserve your only begotten son for me, and that my God is all-powerful and loving, you know what? My worry seems just so big right now, but I rest knowing that you still are in control of all things. <sighs> How's your heart today, Chelton? Is your prayer rooted in the word? Fourthly, their prayers mission-driven, meaning prioritizing in gospel witness, not circumstances. In the middle of all the persecution and ongoing trial, verse 29, they say, Now, Lord, consider their threats, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Did you notice the way they were praying, this early church pray here? They weren't necessarily praying the persecution will stop. Did you notice that? But their prayer isn't necessarily that persecution will stop. But the gospel will go forth even in the middle of persecution. They're prioritizing God's mission over circumstances. Uh, this trend continues in the New Testament as well. When you read like Pauline letters, Philippians 1, Colossians 1, Ephesians 1, <laughs> there Paul's praying for his friends. Paul fully knows that they are going through a terrible, terrible time that actually none of us actually faced, to the degree that they are facing incredibly, their lives were threatened. But Paul doesn't necessarily pray that persecution will stop, but that they will know Jesus even in the middle of their persecution. Now, let's, let's not be legalistic here. It is okay, and you should pray for your knees. You remember Pastor Bill led us our pastoral prayer in the Lord's Prayer? Our Lord Jesus asked, prayed, Hey, it's give us our daily bread. That's praying for circumstances. It is okay and encouraged to pray for that. Entire book of Psalms is a petitionary prayer about, God, my enemies are trying to kill me. Help me, rescue me. And Paul himself pray, asked in, I think, 1 Timothy, asked people to pray for government, pray for peace. We should and ought to call to pray for our circumstances. So don't be legalistic saying, you shouldn't pray for this and that. You should pray the gospel to go forth. No, it is okay. Having said that, do you realize that they are even prioritizing God's mission over 
the safety of even their own life. They don't care. Uh, in preparation of this sermon, I was reviewing my journal because off my journal is my prayer log. And I came across my journal entry that I wrote 15 years ago. And I was taking my first class, world mission class in Dallas Seminary, led by Dr. Mark Young. He now is a president in Denver Seminary. And during his class, I must have struck something within me. I wrote it down in my note. Dr. Young said, do you know what is the key to survive in the seminary? I remember when he was asking, I remember answering myself within, I should read scripture. Um, I should pray more. I should do this and that. That's what I was thinking within me. And then he began by saying, the answer to how to survive in the seminary is never lose a contact with a lost person. And I was like, where is he going with this? And then he said, what is your daily goal? Is it to sin any less or to find something new in the Bible? Because that's exactly what I was thinking. He said, those are good, but that's selfish. He said, our daily primary goal should be to point others to Christ. In your prayer, in your life, Chelton, is there any prayer in your God? Use me for the glory of you. Use me in my work field. Use me in my family. Use me in my relationship with my spouse, in my friends. How can I make Jesus known in a way that I gently speak, in a way that I call out one another for their gifting, in a way that I love one another? Do you point one another to Christ today in your life? Or how many times your prayer life is all consumed by your needs only? God, I I really needed $2 million. That's my goal in life. I need that. God, I need this much money. God, when the stock market's crashing, I need this and that. I'm not confronting you for doing that. It's okay. It's okay to pray for you. And having said that, how much do you pray for really for the mission of God to spread? God, use me for your glory. There are people who need to hear about your truth and beauty. Is your prayer marked by mission? It is mission-driven, prioritizing gospel witness more than your circumstances. Look no further than our Lord and Savior Jesus. He did pray for the circumstance in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus himself said, God, this is too much for me. I don't want it. Can you change the way you go about doing this? Take this cup away from me. But guess what Jesus does? He prioritized mission over his own safety. But not my will and your will. And he went to the cross laying down his life, laying down his safety for us. Children, what's your prayer life like? Is there truly marked by mission in you? And what happened today when you really pray promptly and urgently, when you trust in the sovereign goodness of the Lord, your prayer is rooted in the word and is driven by the cause of mission. Now, what I'm about to say, about, now I'm going to look at the effect of their prayer. Something extraordinary is going to take place. But please don't be mistaken that if you pray only those four mechanisms, all of a sudden this kind of situation will happen all the time. No, God hears your mundane, ordinary prayer. So don't be too sensationalistic expecting what's about to happen as your daily prayer life. Having said that, don't also dismiss power of prayer as if just something, uh, nothing happens. No, one of my favorite things about prayer that poet George Herbert said outside of the Bible, that prayer is like reverse thunder going up to heaven. There's incredible power in that. So let's take a look at the effects of their prayer secondly. After they prayed, verse 31, 
the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, this is not the second Pentecost, as it's the same thing as written in Acts chapter 2. No, the Spirit of God has already came, and they were filled by the Holy Spirit. But now, some special anointing outpouring of the Spirit happens, that they are filled with the Spirit. But this is only the result of that. What happened before that, the place where they were meeting was shaken. The room where disciples were praying to were shaking. The word shaking, shaken, has a very actual theological concept. The shaken usually often means a theophany, which means the visual manifestation of the presence of God. Like, for example, Acts chapter 19, when God came down in Mount Sinai, his presence came down in such a powerful, incredible way, and the mountain was crowned with smoke and fire began to shake. Isaiah 6, when Isaiah sees the vision of the Lord, seraphim crying out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the earth is filled with His glory. And the earth begins to trample, temple begins to shake. See, they are so caught up with the Lord that something incredible takes place. The Spirit of the Lord is so present with them that things begin to shake. You know what's so fascinating about that? They were just quoting Psalm 2 in their prayer. Psalm 2, when you read that, it says basically all the kingdoms, all the earth, all the evil door, they are shakable and they are sinkable. Uh, but those who have been shaken by the Lord will never be shakable. To the degree that you have been shaken by the Lord, you know you have encountered the crucified and risen Savior, you will become immovable today, John. Have you been so shaken by the Lord in a way that, God, you're so real. You're sovereign and good. What do I got to worry about? There may be evil doors. There may be circumstances that is terrible. But have you been so caught up with the Lord that you become immovable? I'll end with this story. In early 20th century, Shelton, there are a lot of American missionaries and Korea indigenous people were praying for revival in Korea providence. And they were praying together for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the time for revival and repentance. And it came that Saturday night in January 1907. This is an excerpt from the Korean Pentecost and the suffering which followed in that book. This is one of the account that this missionary writes that night. Something extraordinary takes place as the people of God pray together. It says, God is not always in the whirlwind. Neither does he always speak in a small voice. He came to us in Pyongyang, the capital of now North Korea. He came to us in Pyongyang that night with the sound of weeping. As the prayer continued, a spirit of heaviness and sorrow for sin came down upon the audience. Over on one side, someone began to weep. And in a moment, the whole audience was weeping. Man after man would rise, confess his sins, break down and weep, and then throw himself to the floor and beat the floor with his fist in perfect agony of conviction. My own cook tried to make a confession, broke down in the midst of it, and cried to me across the room, Pastor, tell me, is there any hope for me? 
Can I be forgiven? And then he threw himself to the floor and wept and wept and almost screamed in agony. Sometimes after a confession, the whole audience would break out in audible prayer and the effect of the audience of hundreds of men praying together in audible prayer was something indescribable. Again, after another confession, they would break out in uncontrollable weeping and we would all weep. We could not help it. And so the meeting went on until 2 a.m. with confession and weeping and praying. Just on that night, these people were shaken by the Lord. And in one century, a lot of historians attribute that night. In one century, Korea, Korea really virtually became 0% in 30% Christianity in one century. And they think the revival broke off from that night. Have you been so, have you met the Lord Jesus? That you have been so shaken by his presence. If you just don't know where to begin today, see Jesus who cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? For love of you, Chelton. And then when he cried out, it is finished, the earth shook. The Lord was with you and he is with you right now. Seek out to him, God, show me your glory. I don't know where to begin in my life. Show me your goodness. Will you pray to him, ask him to show himself to you? Chelton, what do you got going on in your life? Will you trust that he's sovereign in every single circumstance? Even though life may be going lovely, don't give credit to yourself. When life is hard, don't be too distraught. But look to him with sovereign and good God who watched over you every single circumstance of your life. Let's pray together. <laughs> oh God, we want to see you. We want to meet you. Would you shake us? God, to the degree that we have been shaken by you, to the degree that we have seen you, Really, we will be less shakable by the worries of this world. God, why is my prayer life so many times just filled with my worries? And I forget to meditate on the goodness of you, the sovereign God who rules over the world. And you are that good and that powerful that not even one bird will fall from the sky. Oh, Lord, would you bring our hearts and cause us to rest in you today? We confess we are restless. We confess we are worked up. But God, as we come to your table, cause us to examine ourselves. Cause us to see where we have gone astray. And oh Lord, I pray that we'll come to rest knowing that our good God loves us even today in the midst of our joys and sorrows and you are sovereign over, over all affairs of our lives. We trust you. Show yourself to ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.